Hey, it's a how's it everyone? Welcome back to Freedom Fanatics. I'm your host, Alex. And on the show today, I have an esteemed colleague, Tiejo, as well as a friend of the show, Becky Mashobo, who is an analyst at the Center for Risk Analysis. He's a good friend of ours, and we always love having him on here on Freedom Fanatics, brought to you by the Freedom Advocacy Network. All righty, guys. So today, we're going to kick off the show with a, with a, another feel-good story. I think we're getting into a good good trend here on Freedom Fanatics of sharing some, some good news. Um, and this, I'm, I'm just going to play a video for you, and then we'll, we'll chat about it and see what is what. I'm a reader myself. When I came back here around 2016, there were no bookstores at all. I, I didn't have books. So I started collecting books. I had some of the books that I, I, I traveled around with. So when I used to live in the city, I had my books with about 30 books. So I had an idea to start a business and also for a bookshop and a slash library for the community. That's one of the reasons I started this place to advance literature, literacy, and to provide the community with access to books and, and information, which is their basic human rights. So your analysis school kids come to the place and, and readers, readers who don't have access to books, your, your old aunties are like, oh, you have books. Can I borrow one? I'm like, okay, auntie is fine. And then those who can afford, they, they have membership cards for the library. So they, they pay membership fee. And then you're going to see the world differently outside your trap. So this. Cool. All righty. So now, awesome little feel good story. Um, coming out of Soweto there. So, Tiako, you, you flagged the story. Uh, you wanted to chat about it. And I think it's an awesome little story. So, what about the story uh, made you want us to, to reflect on it today? Well, I think a, a reading nation is a progressive nation, right? Mm. So, for me, coming across the story made me quite happy that there's someone in Soweto who's trying to get the people on the ground to start reading so we could have a, a, a literate nation at the end of the day. That's that's an essential thing for me, that we have someone here who is interested in helping community members become readers. And by becoming readers, those community, community members will become assets to the South African nation in the future. Reading is very important, of course. It helps us have an insight into people's thoughts, into people's minds, what they think and stuff. We begin to understand each other from that point of view, right? When, say, I read Becky's book, say Becky writes a book, and Becky's most likely going to write a book, of course, in his lifetime. Say he writes his book and I read his book. I then begin to understand, let's say I've been following Becky's politics for a long time as someone who's interested in politics. I then mm. begin to understand Becky's politics thoroughly, where he comes from, when, 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 when he makes a certain policy position or policy position proposal, I begin to understand at that level the humanness, the humanness of Becky. And from that perspective, then there's that understanding, and we begin to understand each other much, much better and interact in a much, in a much better manner, sure. Mm. Absolutely. So, I mean, 
Becky, Tiochos essentially outlining the the uh, the beneficial aspect of reading from a from a character building uh, point of view, from being able to interact with the world, uh, from a skill development point of view. The interesting thing for me about the story, and you're obviously you're you're an economic analyst, is how um, the bookstore uh, operates in a let's say for, let's say a low income area, um, but there is a model of there's obviously a need or he's created a desire for people who want to read books. You know, it speaks about the aunties who want to borrow books and he's got this model where he loans books out for free to those who are interested, but can't maybe can't afford it. But then also has an, uh, a membership model where people pay a minimal fee that helps sustain uh, the whole business. So what are your thoughts on, on the way that he's hit of, of his approach, if you will, um, to addressing the need for people to have access uh, to books and to reading. I think it's a brilliant approach there, Alex. Uh, the model that in which he has, in which there's like a small membership fee that he mentioned in the clip, where if you can't yeah, afford it, you pay small. So I'm hearing a little bit of echo there. Sorry, where you can't afford it, you can um, essentially pay a small membership fee, and if you can't, then he borrows your book. Uh, that you can lend out for free and so forth. I think it's really a, like a brilliant initiative given the areas in which don't have this particular access such as Soweto. And I can also see like some similarities with this with where I grew up in Katlehong, for example, where uh, before there was a library in place, there was really hard to get books and so forth. The nearest library was in Johannesburg in the city. So a lot of people, if they wanted to read, and I was before, like a lot of people that access to the internet through connection, data prices were very expensive at that point in time. So I believe the economic good that is offered to the people of Soweto is definitely brilliant and can definitely improve literacy levels in Soweto. But as well as the, something very important to touch on books here and something that Tejo has touched on is that of character building, honestly, mm. for kids, as well as for anyone interested in reading. I can see this primarily with myself as well. The uh, reading is what got me interested into economics, understanding different ways of thoughts uh, from a political manner, from a policy perspective, as well as that of leadership, such as presidents, CEOs, entrepreneurships. Mm -hmm. I got that knowledge through reading. And it's quite a worthwhile skill that South Africans could build uh, and, and, uh, and read books quite regularly. Mm, absolutely. I think there, there's so much that, that comes from it. And with our poor level of literacy in the country, um, you know, Beck, you'll be very well familiar with, with the, the stats on, on education. Uh, we know that, for example, only... 5% of kids who start school in grade one by the time exactly. they matriculate. Do you, want to, do you want to just give us a bit of context as to maybe, yeah. oh, we don't, you know, we, we've, we've flagged a good news story, but maybe the extent of why we are so eager to, to punt the story because of how bad the general picture is. Yeah, the general picture is quite severe uh, there, Alex, that you've rightly noted. In 2010, there was about 1.1 million students enrolled for grade one. Uh, follow that number through and about 500,000 of those pupils passed their metric exams and about only close to 60% 60, 60 of those passed uh, their grade 12s with a math pass mark of 50% and above. So you can already see that the education standards in the country severely low uh, and you can already see a massive dropout levels in education in schools around the country. Um, a prime example of this here, Alex, and unfortunately this is a negative example, is a high school in my area called Leondale High, 
where in 420, there was about more than 40 students seen outside of classrooms uh, smoking Mary J, smoking marijuana, and not participating in the education process, not learning, uh, not uh, upskilling themselves in terms of education. And that's also largely due to the large teacher absenteeism in that school and the corruption within that school and so forth. So unfortunately, you do have these examples uh, of these schools, but mainly in townships, rural areas, where there's poor education standards, poor infrastructure, and very low literacy levels. So it's definitely a very, very good thing what we're seeing here with this uh, man in, in Soweto. Mm, absolutely. Teoko, I'm going to come to you because I think one the one thing that that uh, sort of stands out from, from this, uh, this story is that, um, you know, we we have a leader in the community providing resources, providing, but more than that, being a role model um, in his own community. And, and I, I am doing research on, on the story is he has, um, you know, some private entities have come on board to give him uh, training to help him grow his business um, to, to expand his operations and essentially at the end of the day, make reading more accessible to people. And I think that for us at Freedom for Net, at, uh, at the Freedom Advocacy Network is an important thing to show that, you know, there are, you don't need rather the government to do these things for you. And in, instead, it's actually from people like him that uh, will help reverse the devastating curve that Becky's told us about. No, absolutely, absolutely. It it doesn't take just the government to build the nation, right? It takes each of us coming together and doing a bit of something so we can contribute towards the building of this nation. So it's it's quite encouraging, like I said, to see people like this one establishing such stuff. But of course, this is not the only project of this nature that I, I personally have come across. We In Grahamstown, in the Eastern Cape, there's such a project ran by a few community members in the location that yeah, assist with books like this. In Cape Town as well, I know there's a guy called Boo Didiza, I think, if, 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 if I remember the name correctly, who's running the same kind of initiative in Kaya Liche. So mm. the more of this stuff that we have, the more people will become enlightened and the more of, 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 of people of our nation will become avid readers and, and, and knowledgeable good enough to help us take our country forward. Mm, absolutely. I think the last thing for me that was quite interesting about the story is how you said that reading takes you out of your tribe. And I think, you know, when we think about that, it makes you more relatable. It makes you more open to ideas. And ultimately, in a place like South Africa, that kind of thing is great for race relations and, and nation building. But guys, let's leave it there and jump onto our next story, uh, which Becky has just spoken to uh, on national radio on SAFM, so we're very eager to 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 pick his pick his brain on this one. Um, so this is this this uh, story uh, sort of came out on, on the weekend, and this is that um, Sibanya Stillwater CEO Neil Froneman, um It was revealed in, in 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 the company reports that he pocketed three hundred uh, million rand uh, as his payout for for twenty twenty for the twenty twenty one financial year. Now, mining profit share and uh, sort of income mechanisms are, are a bit confusing. Um, so, Becky, the money, the, that sounds like a hell of a lot of money, and it is. 
Um, and I think a lot of people are outraged. There's some strikes going on at the moment um, in some of the gold mines over some wage increases. So obviously, you know, people are saying, but how can you do this when there's people striking? They only want an 800 rand increase. But now your CEO is getting 300 million rand. That's arch capitalist. This is terrible. We need to, under, I don't know, redistribute the wealth. So what are your thoughts about uh, the story? Are we, are, should Frenemann be um, handing out his salary to, to the rest of the company? Yeah, Alex, it is quite an enormous amount of money. 300 million in one year is an enormous, enormous amount of money. In fact, some CEOs don't earn that uh, salary. But if you look at the context here, Alex, I think what happened last year is quite important. There are multiple factors in which occurred. The first one is that when you're looking at commodity prices, those massively appreciated last year, which benefited South Africa because predominantly our exports are made up of commodities, which led to an increase in the performance of mining companies, then an increase in their profits as well. But this also benefits South Africa when it comes to revenue collection as the taxes that these mining companies pay. In fact, this was one of the factors that led the finance minister, Inokonongwana, to say something positive in regards to his February budget speech, which led to a projected figure of about 200 billion more than what was initially uh, uh, projected. Now, that helps us in terms of what we spend on education, for example, as well as that on social grants. Uh, and so forth. And another thing that people have noted uh, here with Sabanya is that they've seen an increase in the share price of the company. Mm. Now, when people look at the share price of the, uh, uh, a lot of people have named this to be lucky because of commodity prices that has uh, that has occurred over the past year. But a very important thing to also note with an increase in share price in the in this value of the share is due to the value in which that company adds to its shareholders mm. as well as the South African economy. That share price increased because Sabanya Stillwater, unlike other companies around the world, expanded its operations in South Africa, diversified its operations to the point where it is now the largest producer of PGMs in the world. Uh, so it has managed to perform quite outstandingly in an environment of hostile labor regulations, in an environment of hostile mining regulations, and still managed to perform the way that it did. And mm. I do believe that it should be rewarded. That kind of action, that kind of risk-taking uh, by Niels, as well as his uh, executives, uh, and as well as uh, the people that advise him, should be rewarded. And it mm. should not be capped, because once you start capping uh, the, the executive pay, you then reduce the incentive for that performance to be seen in the country. Mm. And that's a major issue. Rather, the point here, Alex, is not to look at executive pay as the most pressing issue facing the country. We should look at the regulations that bar businesses from being uh, started in the country, uh, from being established in the country, for that bars investment levels uh, that are massively declining right now. Uh, and allow businesses to operate in the South African economy, to allow people to be employed. I mean, as of right now here, uh, Alex, our unemployment mm -hmm. levels are ridiculously high. South Africa's unemployment levels are about four times higher than that of the global average. In fact, our unemployment levels are the highest in the world in any democracy. And that's never been seen before, and we've not recovered uh, mm -hmm. to our pre-pandemic levels. Mm, for sure. Tioko... Be Becky makes, makes the point that, you know, we need to reward success. Um, and now if we contrast that to, to the 
to the to the, the strikes that are going on at some of the um, Sibania's gold mines, which is a sort of not really the core focus of their operations. Um, if it weren't for some really risky decisions made by someone like Froneman, the, com the, the, the company overall wouldn't really be in a position to even offer these opportunities in the first place. And as Becky says, you know, we've got onerous labor regulations. Um, you know, the mining charter, I think, Becky, if I'm not mistaken, was implemented in the uh, mid-2000s. Um, and now that's been, that's sort of been faced some backlash. Um, and a lot, one of the, the main things that they identify is a very negative policy environment that makes it, you know, there's a lot of uh, red tape. There's a lot of uh, the, the, the process to, to, uh, to, to go through with your mining contracts is very, very difficult. Um, obviously, there, there's some very onerous BE regulation as well. Um, so I just want to, in the context of what we saw on the weekend, we saw... Um, we saw President Soroman Posta getting essentially having to be taken off stage because, uh, you know, union workers were, were cutful, to, to put it simply. But ultimately, leaders in society like Froneman are the reason that uh, the country can stay afloat despite the government's own bad policies. Absolutely. I think that's that's part of why a lot of people on the center of politics or on the right of politics always argue that trade unions are quite problematic, right? Uh, trade unions are always making demands that are not reasonable. Trade unions fail to, first and foremost, study situations and understand first before they approach businesses and, and, and make demands, right? When you look at the 300 million that was given to the CEO last year, this was in 2021, in the article it does mention that it's only 11% of the total salaries that were paid in, 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 in 2021. So really, it's, it's, it's really a matter of context, looking at things, not looking at the amount, but looking at the, at, the, at the percentage and how it stands. It's a huge company. Obviously, the executive will get huge... Uh, 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 Outcome, huge outcomes from 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 the shares that they do have in the company, right? Mm -hmm. But more than anything, I think the fundamental thing here is this: for me personally, as I was reading through the story, that we have a government and trade unions that really insist on 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 making affairs that are not their affairs, their affairs, right? Affairs of 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 private affairs of how, let's say I establish a mining company right now, how I run that company, how much I offer in terms of salaries to, 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 to the employees. That's, that's an agreement that should be between me and the employees themselves. We don't need trade unions and government to be intervening in between. Mm -hmm. And employees, if I make an offer as an employee, a salary offer, and you're not happy with it, you don't have to accept the offer. Go away, I'll go and hire someone else. I think that's what needs to happen. Instead of people making all this noise, wanting to force companies to, 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 to increase their salaries, even though these companies insist that they, don't, they can't afford to increase their salaries, even if they do afford, if they don't want to increase their salaries, no one should be forced to increase their salaries. And that's, that, that's where really the government must back off, together with the trade unions and allow private businesses to run their affairs how they would like to. And if anyone has a problem with that, go and start your own business for goodness sake, instead of forcing someone in their own business to do things that they don't want to do. 
Absolutely. Becky, I'm going to give you a last word before we wrap up. Um, just in the context of one of the, one of the major hindrances to the mining industry. And I, we saw recently that South Africa slipped in the, uh, sort of the Fraser Institute's, uh, ranking of, of investment potential, yeah. uh, or safety. Do you want to just run us through ex- exactly what that meant and sort of a final word on why this, why this issue is, is so important? Yeah, so the Fraser Institute gives countries ranking in terms of how easy it is to do business in the country, how efficient is the government uh, government within that country, as well as the law and order run in each particular region. And South Africa, I'm not sure of the specific ranking, but I do know that we have been declining over the past few years. Yeah, uh, so as 75th out of 75 countries, yeah. Exactly, so the lower quartile. And that came as uh, South Africa expanded, um, as EWC became the main objective of the ruling government, as we started to see the mining charters, while uh, mining regulations becoming harder, labor regulations becoming harder, therefore squeezing and uh, hampering economic activity in the country, resulting in our low economic performance currently. Now, there's an important thing that Tiago mentioned there when it regards to Sabanya. Uh, and then a lot of people say, well, it's just an increase of a thousand rands that trade unions are demanding compared to 300 million. But that thousand rand is multiplied by thousands and thousands of workers that are working at Sabania. And also the company is looking at future salaries, not just for one year, but for multiple years in the future. And if they can't afford it, then it's simply a negotiation between them and the workers. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's something that trade unions, unfortunately, do not understand as they try to push wages higher and higher and higher. And unfortunately, that does have knock-on effects effects in terms of employing future workers, which might then be restricted and so forth. Mm, absolutely. I mean, yeah, if we think that one of the reasons that the, one of the issues facing the mining industry is the prospecting rights, the, the, yeah. the allocation of or permission of, of prospecting uh, rights uh, prevents competition yeah. from coming in and giving mine workers the option to go somewhere else. So, and that exactly. ties in all that. Uh, we've kind of mentioned in a nutshell today. So, guys, I think that's a, it's a really useful discussion to have. There's nuance to these things. The, you know, economies are complex I- ecosystems. Um, and so when you see a, a massive figure like 300 million, don't be blown out of the water. There is often logic to it. But I think what's important is that we know these things and we are able to discuss them. Uh, you know, when we have access to information, we are able to, like with this the story, uh, coming out of the, the bookshop on Ensueto, when you have access to knowledge, you do have the power to act and uh, flourish in a society. So, Jens, thank you so much for your time today. Remember, guys, you can catch uh, Freedom Fanatics every Tuesday at 6 p.m. on Facebook and YouTube, as well as on Instagram, and with clips coming out later in the week on Instagram and TikTok. So, guys, thank you so much. Now it's time for a spicy episode of Burning Questions with Zimbali.
Hi <laughs> and welcome to another spicy episode of Hashtag Burning Questions. Hi Diego, hi Becky, hi Alex. How's it? Hi Bali. Becky, welcome to Burning Questions. Um, quick warning, we're a bit spicy here, but you know, be free, be you. <laughs> so guys, today what we're talking about, um, it definitely um, does go hand in hand with what you guys were talking about. Um, and our code card comes from Willis um, and and it reads, the more entrepreneurs you have, the better because these those individuals create jobs. I think very straightforward. And um, maybe Alex, what are your thoughts with uh, this code card? Common sense, common <laughs> sense. Um, yeah, but I th- sometimes I th- it's not too common, you know. That is that is the problem. But uh, yeah, I think like we were discussing on, on freedom fanatics. Um, you know, when you have people who um, have the ability to create businesses and thereby offer services, they where they're addressing a, a need uh, or or wants in their communities, uh, people pay for that. People are able to grow businesses. They can employ people. People then have money to go and live a prosperous life and add value even further. So, hundred percent, we just don't have a government that seems to understand it talking about common sense not being common that is very true okay guys let's go right straight into um the comments and i think a lot of our um viewers and people who consume our content have um the right ideas um so this one comes from brian kruger and he says explain that to stupid unions politicians and others chasing away investment we need to grow the economy back to prosperity. Um, Peggy, maybe um, with this comment, um, maybe tell Brian as to how we can grow the economy back to prosperity. Yeah, so on the comment in the cue cards by the brother of Chabu Becky, um, mm-hmm. Becky, I think that's very a very important point that needs to be understood by policy, by policymakers as well as trade unions because it is entrepreneurs that drive prosperity in the country or rather contribute to a significant extent towards ex- prosperity in the country. And if you don't create an environment in which they can prosper and through them prospering, they then employ people, then unfortunately you hamper living standards in the country. So areas to touch on in order to see economic growth in the country, the first and most obvious one is that you need to incentivize investment in the country. Economic recovery is also underpinned by investment levels in the country. That means absolutely scrapping any policies that would hamper economic growth in the country, such as EWC, for example. Another one is looking at labor regulations to make it easier for companies to hire people as well as to fire people that are not productive in the workforce. So such things as scrapping EWC, scrapping the amendment to the uh, Employment Equity Act. Uh, Thirdly, you need to improve education standards in the country, thereby introducing the parent to be involved in the choosing of public schools or where they choose to send the kids to public schools so then they can get the literacy levels up, they can get educated and be employed in, uh, in, 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 in industries uh, that are needed of their labor. Uh, those are the issues that I'm currently thinking of, uh, that, that, that are most pressing, as well as electricity in the country. You, at this point, uh, South Africa cannot generate enough electricity, rather ESCOM cannot generate enough electricity that is needed by private businesses in the country. 
Therefore, we need to privatize the energy sector in the country to allow uh, business activity to then uh, trickle upward. Yeah, that is, uh, I agree. Thanks for that, uh, Economics 101. Um, Alex or do you have anything to add before we go to the second uh, comment? I have nothing to add on my part. I think Becky has very well captured everything one would have wanted to say. I think, I think I'll, yeah, I'll just throw in one thing in Bali. I think, I think that is that the government doesn't create jobs. It's not, it's not the role of the government is not to create jobs, but as Becky mm. says, is to create the environment where people yeah. can uh, create businesses and thereby create jobs. So, you know, when, when we look at like the unemployment levels and we say, oh, you know, and, and, and Ramaphosa comes on, yeah, I promise 2 million jobs for the youth. And next year I yeah. promise 800,000 jobs for these people and for those people. It's, that's not that's not how job creation you don't just you don't just uh you know add some milk to your conflicts and then you get job creation it's not just not how it works yeah may i emphasize just one more point and that's in regards to entrepreneurs or entrepreneurship mm -hmm. which i believe has not been uh emphasized enough by the ruling government being an entrepreneur is absolutely hard, even with, for example, if you're in the United States where labor regulations are perhaps uh, a lot less intense than in South Africa. In fact, entrepreneurs are some are close are the closest that can be to a fortune teller because they would need to gauge what are the preferences of consumers, which is a very difficult thing to do. 90% yeah. of economists fail to do this. You can look at what happened over the past two years. But the ones that succeed in doing so, which predominantly are entrepreneurs, are successful in the avenues that they take. And through those avenues, they then employ people. So as much as what Alex has said, I definitely emphasize and agree with it, that you need to create an environment in which yeah. you see these individuals then prosper because they take on the risk. They take, this is their money that mm -hmm. they invest in. And therefore, by, through that investment, through capital business formation, you see an increase in employment levels. And failure to recognize that results in the current situation that we're in with massive poverty levels in the country. Yeah, definitely. Um, let us go to the second comment of the day. And this one comes from my daughter and it reads, that means we South Africans, we must change our mindset and become business minded so we can do this. Um, Diego, what are your thoughts on this? Um, I think it's very, I think it's to the point, straight to the point, but let me hear your thoughts. Yeah, no, I, I agree 100% with you that it's straight to the point. I agree 100% with what my daughter does say. And I do think that the quality of, yeah, I think there's a mind, sh mind shift that needs to take place in South Africa, right? Given that the politicians that we elect uh, politicians we have elected into the National Assembly, into our local governments, provincial governments and everything, are really a reflection of how we think as people on the ground and, 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 and what we believe, right? We mm -hmm. vote for people given that they advertise a particular set of um, um, policy positions and when there's a problem with our own thinking, we end up voting for the wrong people who won't get the job done. So there, yeah. there, there, there's, a, there's a shift that needs to happen in people's minds. People need to go back to understanding that the government, as Alex and Becky have emphasized, does not create jobs. People have to go back to, 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 to 
how we lived or how people who came before us lived before actually there was no government that was providing food for people everyone had to make sure that they they they, they hustle for themselves mm. go uh, back then you had to go to the farm uh, raise food for you and your family and stuff but today as well we should go back to creating jobs where possible where not possible finding jobs and and mm. and, and surviving in that way as opposed to surviving with social grants people must go back to doing things for themselves as we yeah. have always done in human history but has the government created like an environment where it's easy for someone to become an entrepreneur in south africa hey, Mr. Diego, that's directed I, to you I, <laughs> I, I don't I, I don't think it's a matter of even creating such an environment. I think such an environment is very much natural, right? The problem mm. becomes government coming in and interfering. So the environment yeah. is naturally there. Naturally, mm. the free market exists. It's a natural system. It's, it's not like your socialism, like I've explained before, whereby mm. someone sat down and thought about something yeah. that I think such a system would work. This is a natural mm. system whereby you have human beings human beings must eat at the, the end of the day human beings must have a shelter and we find ways of arriving at that be it through me farming and selling you that food or whatever but the free market is, is, is naturally there the government should yeah. just get out of our face a bit and yeah the environment yeah. will be there for us to operate because it's a natural environment yeah no definitely i agree guys i think we've come to the end of our burning questions for this week thank you so much Peggy, um for joining us thank you alex thank you Diego. um and uh, we'll catch you guys next week tuesday same time same place remember go start a business and your freedom is worth fighting for yes <laughs> cheers